Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour podcast on the topic of equine sinuses with Dr. Allison Gardner. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Gardner is a DVM and a diplomate in the American College of Veterinary Surgeons, large animal, and a diplomate in the American College of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care, large animal. She's an assistant professor in clinical equine surgery, Department of Veterinary Clinical Science at The Ohio State University. We're happy to welcome back Dr. Gardner to the podcast. Welcome, Dr. Gardner. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me again. So equine sinuses seems like a little bit of an unusual topic. But the sinuses can be affected by a lot of different disease or injury and can happen quite frequently. So I wanted to, I appreciate you coming on to talk about this. It may not seem as sexy as some of the diseases we have talked about, but let's let's get into this and talk about the anatomy. I actually had to go back and refresh myself on the anatomy and it's pretty complicated. Absolutely. The anatomy is the hardest part of understanding the paranasal sinuses of the horse. And I think a lot of this is based off of until very recently, we've only had two dimensional imaging options. And my students look at skull rats and they say, I, I'm not good at skull rats. And I, I look at them and I say, no, no one is unless you've spent a lot of time being a uh, doing radiology training, there's just a lot of summation. Um, so so it's difficult to discern where the abnormalities are or if there's even an abnormality with all the summation of interstices of bone and soft tissue on those skull rads. Really with the advent of three-dimensional imaging techniques such as CT and MRI, are we more able to discreetly identify some of these abnormalities that involve the sinuses? And these these can be important diseases for for athleticism of the horse, there's a couple space occupying lesions in the sinuses that can impede the nasal passages. And as obligate nasal breathers, horses obviously need those nasal passages. And then I think every horse owner knows what a stinky tooth smells like. And if that's one of those teeth that uh, that has its roots in the sinuses, those can be pretty tough to take care of, too. Well, let's let's just jump into that anatomy then and talk about all the different there's six pairs. And I again I had to go back and refresh myself because I couldn't remember I can remember where the main ones were, but then how they are all are adjacent and how much they cover of a horse's head. Yeah, really they, they cover a large majority of the horse's maxilla. And the way I think of this is there's the pairs. So there's a left and a right pair. And then if we look at one side, all of the sinuses communicate either directly or indirectly with each other. So there's there's really two main compartments that communicate indirectly through the the nasomaxillary aperture where the maxillary sinuses drain into the nasal passage. So if you deal with the the, the sinuses towards the nose, the rostral sinuses um, that are completely separate from the other ones, um, other than through that nasomaxillary aperture. We're talking about the rostral maxillary sinus and then medial to that, the ventral conchal sinus. And within those sinuses, the rostral maxillary sinus, you've got the caudal tooth roots of the last premolar, or if you're on the right side, the 108 by the by the numbering system. And then you've got most of the tooth roots of the 109 tooth. And then the ventral, ventral conchal sinus, again, medial to the rostral maxillary sinus, is bridged 
by the infraorbital nerve and its bony canal. So the way I think of this is it's like a half door between the two. So if if I'm doing surgery in the rostral maxillary sinus, I can actually reach my hand over that bony infraorbital canal into the ventral conchal sinus, and that can help when you're trying to get out some of that that dried pus and exudate from a sinus. So those are in its their own kind of compartment. And again, they only communicate with the other sinuses through that nasomaxillary aperture into the nose, nasal passage. The other sinuses are the dorsal conchal sinus, which communicates uh, with the frontal sinus, which is pretty much right in between the horse's eyes. And then the largest caudal maxillary sinus, um, which holds the tooth roots of the the last two molars, the 110 and the 111, if you're on the right side. And then that communicates with the middle or ethmoid sinus. And then both of those, the, the frontal through the caudal maxillary sinus, communicate with the, the sinus we don't talk a whole lot about because it's very difficult to approach surgically, the sphenopalatine sinus. And that sits underneath the brain. and any horse can have some individual variation in the way these sinuses are put together, but it looks like lots of horses have variations in this, you know, palatine sinus, whether it's a, um, if there's actually a communication between the left and right sides of it, if the sphenoid sinus is separate from the palatine sinus. So that's a bit of a wild card. And it's also really hard to image because again, it's right up underneath that brain. Let's talk a little bit about, I mean, you, we had talked before we got on because I was lamenting all the issues that I have had with horses over the years from fractures to infections and so forth in the sinuses. Let's, let's talk about, let's start with infections. I mean, sinus infections, I mean, we, we get them. What about our horses? What do we see? What are the clinical signs? And, you know, what can veterinarians do about it? I'm amazed that horses just don't seem to be that bothered with sinus infections. When I have a sinus infection, I am miserable to be around. It hurts, there's so much pressure there. And really we don't see a whole lot of fever or depression associated with with most sinusitis. You may see some inappetence with a horse that has sinusitis, but I think a lot of that is related to the primary disease. Most of the sinusitis we see over here in the U.S. is secondary to tooth problems, whether it's a tooth root abscess in, you know, your middle-aged horses or a fractured tooth or a, a diastema in older horses that allow bacteria or even feed to get in the oral cavity into those sinus cavities. And we can guess that the sinus sinusitis is tooth-related based on that very fetid smell that is coming from the nasal discharge from that horse because it's the the milieu of oral bacteria that is infecting that sinus. It's not just one one bacteria. The other thing that may point us towards more of a tooth problem is often the nasal discharge is going to be unilateral. The the left and right sinuses are are divided um, and they're separate. So if you've got a tooth root problem on one side it's usually resulting in only unilateral discharge. There are causes of primary sinusitis or just a bug gets in the sinus um, and and infects there. Um, I think most famous because we're all worried about purulent nasal discharge and 
how contagious it is, is, is strangles. Kim's laughing at me because she knew what I was going to say. So always worth um, culturing for strep equi, equi, especially if it's got a, not an odor to, to it. So, um, so that's always a, a concern. And then a couple of the space occupying lesions that we'll talk about can cause sinusitis just because the sinus doesn't have appropriate drainage. So the sinuses are not sterile environments. They have a normal microbiome in them, but if there's not adequate drainage from the sinus, then that microbiome can can have aberrant growth and, and cause infection there. So anything that closes off the normal communication of one sinus to each to another or out that nasomaxillary aperture may result in a sinusitis as well. Again, you mentioned how to your about to your students how hard it is sometimes to visualize so, I mean, you can get cancer, you can get cysts, you can get hematomas. I mean, let's talk about some of those things and how do you actually know what the problem is? Because it's sometimes hard to see, especially for a veterinarian in the field. Yeah, it's incredibly hard to see um, and differentiate between those. Um, I think the there's a couple of, of those diseases that cause um the thin bones of the face to be deformed. So you may see uh, facial deformity externally, or the owner may report on increased inspiratory or expiratory flow, usually inspiratory, um, based on one of those space occupying lesions causing deformity and impinging on the nasal passages. Uh, most owners will jump to cancer. That's what they're all worried about. And we do see neoplasias within the sinuses. Uh, squamous cell carcinoma is the most common, but I've seen hemangiosarcoma, other, other neoplasias. But more deformities are caused by sinus cysts. And we're not quite sure what causes sinus cysts. They're probably multifactorial as far as causes, but they're just... Uh, uh, just like cysts anywhere else in the body, they're epithelial line, they produce fluid, and surgical removal of these is usually curative. Oh, and then the progressive ethmoid hematomas, I, I think back to vet school, a lot of us learned about those as the blood-filled cysts that usually grow off of the ethmoids um, at the back of the nasal passage. Uh, removal of those can result in in significant bleeding. So my Treatment choice is to inject those with formalin until the epithelial lining dies. You'll start to see them become necrotic. They'll start to kind of to, to flake off, and then you can remove those. Um, a little more difficult to get to if they're in a sinus. You can get to them with an endoscope up the nose if they're coming off the ethmoids, but in a sinus, often you can surgically resect those as well. Just be a little more prepared for bleeding. And that's a good point to mention because we know things in the head bleed a lot. Mm -hmm. So you just have blood coming out of the nose. And of course, everybody gets worried about what in the world is this coming from? So what, what can veterinarians do to try and track down where some of this blood is coming from, especially if it's from the sinuses? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, radiographs are are helpful because you'll see the fluid line on your radiographs. Um, often, if it's a, a ethmoid hematoma, you'll see the soft tissue. It'll be a round structure on your radiographs. Um, but don't forget systemic 
reasons for bleeding. If you see blood in the sinuses, I've had a, a couple of horses with thrombocytopenia with platelets so low that they cause spontaneous bleeding. And, and we saw bleeding from the sinuses initially. So usually those have been a mild to moderate amount of bleeding. Um, uh, progressive ethmoid hematoma is usually unilateral. Uh, the thrombocytopenia, they, they've been, can be bilateral um, if it's both sinuses full of blood. And then not related to sinuses, but also important to check out if you're scoping a horse, which is a, a, a good way to diagnose um, where discharge, including blood, is coming from is, is guttural pouch mycosis and if that horse has a guttural pouch bleed. But if you pull your scope just rostral to that, that nasopharynx and look to the lateral side, that's when you'll see those nasomaxillary apertures. And just like you can see blood coming from the guttural pouches to diagnose blood coming from that, if it's a guttural pouch mycosis or bleed, blood within the guttural pouch, you can also see a trickle of blood coming from that nasomaxillary aperture. And then it helps distinguish if your bleeding is coming from the sinus as well. So x-rays, scope if you can have it, then you can also take a sample from the sinuses based on needle tree fine sites. Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their unconditional investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program and the partnership with Equitrace, which delivers secure, streamlined record-keeping and instantaneous temperature measurement when coupled with Merck Animal Health Biotherm Microchips. Visit MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com for more information. Of course, wounds and fractures. I did not realize until my daughter's horse um, fractured one of her sinuses one time how thin that bone is. So how can, you know, when, when an owner calls a veterinarian and goes, oh, my gosh, my horse is, you know, what, what can veterinarians do? I mean, there's really not a good way to repair that. So what's the, the long-term consequences? Yeah, I think I think that's a good question. Horses like to run into things at high speeds and they also, you know, they get kicked in the face a lot. So we see a good amount of sinus fractures and a lot of these are open fractures, meaning the skin has been disrupted or there's such a significant abrasion, skin swelling there that that you have to consider that 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 fracture could result in a sequestrum formation. Either those those thin bony plates have been denuded of periosteum, or they're just wide open. The other difficulty in repairing fractures of the sinuses is those those little plates of bone once they're fractured want to fall back into the sinuses. So so we see depression fractures. They usually heal okay with or without intervention as long as there's still enough soft tissue covering there, but there's a couple of structures to worry about in that area that may result in in loss of quality of life um, or loss of athletic ability if we don't fix them, and that's the nasolacrimal duct, which runs from the medial canthus of the eye and allows the the ocular fluid to drain through the nose. If that gets disrupted, then that horse will have chronic discharge for the rest of its life. Certainly not life limiting, but can be a little ugly in in some of our show animals. 
the infraorbital nerve, again, that nerve runs through both the, the rostral and caudal and maxillary sinuses. And if that's damaged, it can result in, in head shaking. And then the, the, the eye obviously sits just caudal to the, the maxillary sinuses, and that can be damaged as well. And then those, those tooth roots. So in fixing these, especially in young foals who just, you know, seem to heal with a hope and a prayer, but they're the ones getting kicked in the face all the time. There's a, a couple of techniques that you can use to try to buttress those fractures. Firstly, you can drill little holes into those fracture fragments and then suture them together. Um, that still doesn't quite have the stability of some other repairs because it could still depress. So there's been a couple of techniques that have been described to temporarily buttress those fractures in the sinuses. And, and a couple of my mentors here at OSU developed a technique where they use Foley catheters, the balloon tipped catheters, and they use the Foley's to buttress those fractures within the sinus afterwards. The, the Foley tubes exit the face through a frontal sinus tree fine. And the nice thing about that is you can use those Foley's to flush the sinuses of all that blood that may cause sinusitis, but then those Foley balloons hold up that fracture while those those fractures heal. Um, and that was a, a, a fun project we were able to write up and get published in veterinary surgery. Another group did a, a fun thing in an, in an adult horse where the orbital fractures caused that, that eye to, to be destabilized. Um, and so they used a a breast implant to buffer the the fractures and then the orbit as well and we're able to remove that once the fractured healed so there's been some creative solutions to how to buttress these fractures i think what i'd like to touch on too is something you said earlier kim which is faces bleed and that's really scary for owners and it can be a, a good amount of blood but anytime there's a lot of bleeding there's a lot of healing and Face fractures that are open, that have denuded a periosteum, just seem to heal better than sequestra fractures in other area. Now, I'm not saying it's it's always perfect and you still get fistulas, et cetera, but, but I'm usually a little rosier with prognosis, prognoses of these nasty facial traumas than, say, lower limb traumas. That's a, a great point. Well, is there anything else while we're talking about equine sinuses? And I, I, I don't know about our audience, but I certainly have learned a lot today. And I know that you said that you have got some um, things for our listeners. We will have an article on equimanagement.com that goes along with this podcast. And Dr. Gardner is going to give us some links to some resources on equine sinuses. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's I go through this anatomy a lot, and there's a couple of resources. There's great resources out there, but there are, there's a couple that I'll point out that I think are really useful. The first is a free ebook that University of Georgia has put out, and that's downloadable through the Apple iTunes. Just search University of Georgia Anatomy of the Paranasal Sinuses, and I can I can put that title along with the article. And then there's a couple of good articles that that show the CT organization of these. So um, CT has been really helpful for understanding the 3D anatomy of these sinuses. And there's a, a group that published in 
night radiology and ultrasound that then did 3D reconstructions of these CTs and colored the sinuses. So you see their relationship of the two that I'll put in along with the article. And then one article that describes the nasomaxillary aperture because the drainage is a little circuitous um, where if you've got any space occupying lesion, it's not a, it's not a direct <laughs> outward flow. And there's an article that, that really shows this really well by um, Dr. Taternik that I'll also link in the, in the notes. Is there anything else that uh, you want to talk to our veterinarians or even our techs and students about the equine sinuses? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is again, to not get frustrated with the anatomy and to realize that a lot of these diagnostics are multimodal and, and how you have to image. It's, it's very common that we're pulling a horse from the scope to do to do skull rads. And luckily we've got a CT here. There are times where if we see something on the scope or any facial deformity that, that I talk to the owners and say, really a, a CT is gonna be the best way we diagnose these. So um, it may take a couple of different diagnostic modalities to be able to understand what's going on in these paranasal sinuses. Well, we sure do appreciate you coming and talking to us about uh equine sinuses today, Dr. Gardner, and make sure to go to equimanagement.com and just look up the disease du jour episode on equine sinuses with Dr. Gardner, and we'll put those links in that she had mentioned in the podcast. So thank you to our audience for listening to disease du jour, and a special thanks to our 2022 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. We invite you to listen and rate every episode of disease du jour on your favorite podcast platform. And if you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, send me an email to kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC. 